0: Hi everyone, I hope you're all doing so well and welcome back to the Criminal Makeup Podcast. Each episode we dive into the minds of some of the worst criminals in history and today we are going to be talking about the case of Elisa Baker, also known as one of the most evil stepmothers in America. So Elisa Baker, oh my god, does she make my blood boil. Elisa is just a stereotypical evil stepmom. She was scheming, manipulative, attention-seeking, and abusive. She made the lives of those around her absolute hell. And in the end, she completely destroyed a young girl's life. And this young girl was 10-year-old Zara Baker. And oh God, Zara was just so vulnerable. I mean, of course she was. She was only 10. She was a young child. But she had already overcome so much trauma and adversity in just her short life making her even more vulnerable and the way Elisa treated her was just absolutely despicable and given what Zara had already been through it just makes the events of today's case just a million times worse. It really is such a heartbreaking story so I do have to warn you there and let's dive in. Elisa Baker was born on the 6th of June, 1968, making her a Gemini. And she grew up in North Carolina, where she lived with her parents and her two sisters. And not much is actually known about Elisa's childhood. We do know that she was the apple of her dad's eye. Like, her dad doted on her so much. However, this could not be said for her mother, because Elisa's mother was the disciplinarian. And I'm not talking about like, oh, her mom was just the one that laid down the rules and enforced them or anything like that. Elisa's mom was very, very strict and at some times abusive. And I don't exactly know what these rules were, but I know that Elisa basically did everything opposite. And this in response, would lead to Elisa's mom sometimes hitting Elisa. So there was definitely a bit of a troubled relationship between Elisa and her mother. It was definitely toxic, not always the best. And that is pretty much all we know about Elisa's childhood at home. And when she was at school, we don't know too much either, but we do know that she was described as popular. And even at school, she used to try and manipulate people into doing what she wanted. It's said that she would use her looks to her advantage. And even as a teenager, she has been described as cunning and manipulative. And it's crazy how she was like that from such an early age. Like it's just so weird. Like where did she learn how to be so cunning and manipulative? Because this is something that she carries on into her adult life. So now we skip forward to the mid-80s. Elisa is approximately 16 or 17 at this point, And she decides to drop out of high school early. Now I don't know why she dropped out of high school early. From what I could gather, Elisa had the attitude that she did need an education, that she could just drop out of high school and make it on her own in the world and succeed. She basically thought that she could charm her way through life, which um, I've got to give it to her. She kind of did for a very long time because pretty much straight out of high school, and I mean at the age of 16, 17, we move on to Elisa's next stage in her life, which was multiple marriages. And yes, I mean multiple marriages at a very young age. Not at the same time, even though some of them are actually at the same time, which is obviously against the law, but we'll obviously get to that when it happens. But Elisa got married a lot. (laughs) A lot. A lot. She got married seven times. And it seemed like Elisa wanted to find a man, find a vulnerable man, marry them, take advantage of them, take everything that she could from them, and then leave. Because that is what she did time and time again. But before we get onto all of that, before we do get to husband number one, at around the age of 16 or 17, again, I don't know the exact age, but Elisa fell pregnant. And we don't know any of the details of the pregnancy or anything like that. We do know that the dad kind of just disappeared and Elisa was left on her own. And she was age 17 when her first child, who was a daughter, was born. And she named her daughter Amber. And then not long after she gave birth, she ran into one of of her ex boyfriends from high school, a man called Jerry Winkler. Now, Jerry and Elisa hadn't seen each other in over a year and they ran into each other at a gas station. They got to talking, Elisa used her charm on Jerry like she did with everyone. And just one week, one week after re-meeting at that gas station, Jerry proposed to Elisa. I mean, I know that they clearly dated before, but they're both 17, they're both 17, let that sink in. However, there was a problem because like I just said, they were under 18. They can't legally get married without their parents' permission. Jerry says to Elisa, there is no way my dad is going to let me get married. Like, there's just no way he's going to give me permission. So Jerry and Elisa make up this story that Elisa's child, you remember baby Amber, they make up a story that Amber is actually Jerry's biological child. And their plan worked. They got permission from their parents because both parents thought that this baby Amber was Jerry's baby. They got married. They're only 17. And just a few weeks into the marriage, Jerry got cold feet. He was like, Like, oh my God, I've bitten off more than I can chew here. I'm only 17 and I'm married and also a dad. So Jerry came clean to his dad that baby Amber wasn't his biological child. So the marriage was annulled and that was the end of marriage number one. So now we move on to husband number two. So a couple of years after, 19-year-old Elisa meets a man called Joseph Proctor. Now at some point in his earlier life, Joseph had been in a very serious car accident, and he had life-changing injuries from this car accident, and he actually struggled to walk. And he did suffer a lot with pain and just his injuries, so he was very vulnerable. And again, this was almost like a jackpot to Elisa because she saw vulnerable people as easier targets. So Elisa put on her charm and Literally, before you know it, they are married. They quickly have two children together. Obviously, it was over a couple of years, but they still quickly had two children together. They have a son who they name Douglas and a daughter called Brittany. Now, things at the beginning of this marriage, I think they were okay, but they didn't last okay for very long because the couple were living with Joseph's mom. Elisa was just constantly stealing things from the house, constantly damaging property, not being very respectful. So, in response to this, Elisa's mother-in-law took out a restraining order against. her and tried to kick her out of the home. But Elisa did not take too kindly to this because she started screaming and shouting, if you kick me out of this house, I'm going to burn this house down. I'm going to wreck your car. I'm going to kill my baby. Elisa was actually threatening to kill her own children because of this. And these are obviously her mother-in-law's grandchildren that she is threatening to kill. She was really hoping that she could get her own way. Like if she threatened to kill her own children, she would get her own way. And guess what? It worked because Elisa's mother-in-law was so scared that Elisa was capable of killing her own children, she dropped the charges. But a year later, Elisa had enough of the marriage and she left on her own accord. And she took her two daughters with her and she left her son behind. Like she really just doesn't care about her children. I feel like I need to stress that now. And when it does come to her children, Elisa just uses them as pawns in her game. She just how can I use my children to get what I want? do you know what that sound is? That's the notification sound I hear every time another sale is made on Shopify. And Shopify is an amazing platform. I used it for all of my merch sales. It makes running an online e-commerce store incredibly easy. You don't need to be an expert in coding or web design. You can set up your own online store in no time at all. Shopify scales with your business. You never have to worry about it slowing down and you can sell across all social media marketplaces such as Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. But not just that. What I love most about Shopify is that it gives you incredible insights into your business. You can manage orders, shipping, payments, all from one single dashboard anywhere in the world. So if you're thinking about starting your very own online business, Shopify is definitely the place to be. And you can sign up for a £1 per month trial at shopify.co.uk forward slash criminal makeup, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.co.uk forward slash criminal makeup to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.co.uk forward slash criminal makeup. So now we get to husband Number three. A couple more years have passed now. It is now 1992. So her third husband was a man called Andrew Harris Jr. And they met in a bar. And Annalisa put her charm on. She waved him over. They got to talking and that was it. It is literally like repetitive. Like every single husband, she seems to put this charm on. She seems to put them under some kind of spell. And within a few months, Andrew and Elisa are married. And the same thing happened again. Just after they got married, Elisa's personality completely changed because that is what she would do. In the beginning of the relationship, she would be really charming. And then when she would feel like she had her claws in, her true colors would come out. In this marriage, Elisa became abusive. And the main argument would always be Elisa wanting to get her own way. As well, Elisa wouldn't just take her anger out on her husband, she would also start to take her anger out on her daughters. She would yell at them. Them all the time, say really horrible mean things to them. She would physically hit them, but she would also lock her daughters in their rooms for hours on end. Now, somehow, don't know how, but this marriage lasted a couple of years, which is the longest marriage so far. But the couple had a particularly big argument one day. And when he returned back to the house a few days later, Elisa and the two girls were gone. But it wasn't just Elisa and the two girls that were gone. Pretty much everything in the house was gone. Elisa had wiped him clean. And that was end... Of marriage, husband number three. So now we skip forward a few months, and now enters husband number four. After only a few months, she is not wasting any time anymore. So this is in the fall of 1994, and Alisa is 26 years old. Now, husband number four was a man called Daryl Putnam. He was 30 years old, and remember, Alisa has a habit of targeting vulnerable people. Now, Daryl was particularly vulnerable because. He was deaf and he had been deaf for pretty much his entire life. Now, he was able to hear and understand small amounts of speech when he had his hearing aids in, but overall, he found communicating with people just extremely difficult, which in turn made dating really difficult for him. So, when Elisa agreed to go on a date with him, he was over the moon. He couldn't believe it. He was like, oh my God, this perfect woman has agreed to go on a date with me. I am so lucky. And within a few weeks of them meeting, they moved in together. And then soon after that, they got married. Oh, but I just want to point out here that she hadn't actually gotten legally divorced from husband number three. At this point, and she has just gotten remarried. So now she's also a big mist. But the same thing happened again. Elisa, at the very beginning of the relationship of the marriage, she was so loving, she was so charming. But then after a few months, the mask started to slip. She again was abusing her daughters, and she was abusing her daughters in front of Daryl. I can only assume that she was possibly abusive to Daryl as well. Do you remember I said that Elisa likes to use her daughters in her game? Well, it in this marriage, she decided to tell Daryl that her eight-year-old daughter Amber had cancer. When Amber didn't have cancer, she was perfectly healthy. Elisa would actually push her daughter around in a wheelchair in the neighborhood to try and get sympathy and attention off pretty much everyone she met. And I don't know if this is some Munchausen by proxy going on, which if you don't know what Munchausen is or Munchausen by proxy, it's basically just faking or inducing illness in yourself, which is obviously Munchausen, or in somebody else, which is Munchausen house and by proxy. But it definitely seems like it could be that, because this whole faking illnesses and stuff is definitely a pattern of Elisa that will carry on. And unsurprisingly, this marriage wasn't exactly the best marriage, and it didn't last for very long, because after a few months, Daryl came home, and he walked in on Elisa and another man in bed together. So Daryl walked out of the house heartbroken, and when he returned, Elisa, the two girls, and pretty much all of his belongings had gone. But Elisa, being the pure evil person that she was, also stole Daryl's hearing aids. And what is Elisa going to do with hearing aids? She took them out of spite. And that was the end of husband number four, which she technically, legally, was never married to because she was still married to husband number three. It's very confusing. So now we get to husband number five. It's ridiculous, isn't it? I feel like there is just a revolving door of husbands. So it is now October 1997, Elisa is now 29 years old. So husband number five that she was married to, got married to him very, very quickly, was a man called Jeffrey Alfred. And he had a horrible time with Elisa, just like everyone else. And she was possibly the most violent with Jeffrey out of all of her husbands. She would, carry around a baseball bat just to intimidate him. And she would attack him with the baseball bat as well. And she would also throw things at him like rocks. And Jeffrey, one day, because he just couldn't cope with the abuse and the environment anymore, he just packed his bags and left. Jeffrey is actually the only husband that left. Every other husband The marriage ends on her terms. Jeffrey would actually never file for divorce. He stayed married to Elisa because he was so scared at seeing her again in court when they got divorced. He just wanted to get as far away as possible from her. So when he packed his bags, He left and he literally ran into the Appalachian Hills and literally went into hiding. Like I'm not being dramatic there. So we get to August of 1998. This is just 10 months after her previous marriage. Elisa is already moving on to husband number six. She has had two marriages in the space of 12 months. So husband number six was 20-year-old Aaron Young. And I do want to stress his age. But it wasn't just that. As a young child, Aaron suffered from rickets, which is a bone disease, and he was required to have several surgeries. And this left him difficulties walking. So again, it wasn't just his age that made him vulnerable to Elisa. He was also physically disabled. He was a very vulnerable person. We know that Elisa has a bit of a track record For having very short marriages. However, her marriage to Aaron would last. 10 years. But then in 2007, after nearly 10 years of marriage, the relationship ended because Aaron's mom caught Elisa kissing another man in a car. And given her track record, that probably wasn't all they were doing. So that brought an end to husband number six. But they didn't get divorced. No, these two stayed married. And husband number six, Aaron, does come back up later on in the story and I didn't know where to fit it in but during those marriages Elisa also lived at 42 different addresses because as well as taking advantage of her husband's and taking everything from them making them pay for everything etc Elisa would also leave a trail of unpaid debts behind her. Elisa basically never paid for her bills or her rent. So as soon as bills started to pile up too much, Elisa would just run away. She would just move from one address to the next. She would be changing her name throughout all of that as well, And basically just running away from her problems. So we now get to early 2008. And this is when Elisa would meet her seventh and final husband, a man called Adam Baker. So Adam Baker was 33 years old and he was a single father. And he was living in Queensland, Australia. So currently he is literally on the other side of the world to her. So one day in 2008, Adam decided to log into a website called IMVU. And this is how he met Elisa. Now, I had never actually heard of IMVU but IMVU stands for instant messaging virtual universe and it's basically described as a 3D avatar Like social media. So you create your avatar. It can look however you want. And you literally use your avatar to walk around this universe. And that is how you talk to people, meet people. So the two of them met on this website and they got chatting. And as always, it doesn't matter if Elisa is in the same room as you or she's online talking to you. She turns on the charm and she wins you over. And it wasn't long until Elisa said, right, that's it i'm moving to australia to be with you alisa just packed up her things and moved to australia she told her friends and family right i'm moving to australia this is a new start i'm not coming back she left her children at home but her children are obviously adults now and she moved to australia to be with adam and this was the first time she met adam's daughter a young girl called Zara Baker. So Zara Baker was born on the 16th of November, 1999. And she was born in New South Wales, Australia to her dad, Adam Baker, and her mom, Emily. However, weeks after Zara was born, her mother, Emily, suffered really badly with postpartum depression. She decided that she couldn't be a parent to Zara. She just couldn't handle it. And she walked out of the family, signing full custody over to Adam. So it was just Zara and her dad, Adam. Now Adam needed help raising Zara, so Adam moved in with his parents, Zara's grandparents, and as the three of them, the three adults, they raised Zara. Now at some point when Zara was a young child, the whole family did relocate to a small town called Guyru. I really hope that that is how you pronounce it. And from there, things were actually really good for Zara. It really worked the family dynamic. Zara was a very happy child. She went to preschool, she had a lot of friends, she always had a smile on her face. She was just a little girl and she was loving life. She was a normal, happy child. But then an absolute tragedy struck because when Zara was just five years old, she was diagnosed with bone cancer. And this cancer, it was aggressive and it really took its toll on Zara. And because of the cancer, she had to have her left leg just above the knee amputated. Oh my god, she's going through so much and she's so small. She's so young but she's a fighter and she got through the cancer. She was fitted with a prosthetic leg and she made the best of the situation. Bless her heart. She would tell her friends, oh, this is my Barbie leg. However, two years later, when Zara was just seven years old, the cancer came back. This time it was in her lungs and again it was aggressive. She went through chemotherapy which takes such a toll on anybody and she had to have part of her lung removed because of the cancer and because of the chemotherapy, because that treatment was so aggressive on her body, she actually lost most of her hearing. So she had to wear hearing aids but even still with those hearing aids she still struggled to hear and she would do for the rest of her life. But thankfully she beat the cancer again and I can't believe that she's seven years old and she has gone through cancer twice and she made the best of the situation again she always had a smile on her face even though she has gone through so much she has gone through way too much for a seven-year-old and she started to get her life back to normal again with her friends and going back to school and so many people admired her courage and her bravery and just what she had gone through she actually made it onto the Australian news she was photographed at a charity event there was articles written about her brave fight with cancer and there was a quote from an article that i want to read out to you they don't make them much tougher than little zara baker the eight-year-old girl has overcome more challenges than most people would in a lifetime but nothing could wipe the smile off the bubbly youngster's face yesterday and that literally describes zara even though she has been through so much She always had a smile on her face. So that was Zara's background. And in 2008, her dad met Elisa. And Elisa moved in with the family. So at this point, Adam was still living with his parents. So, Elisa, when she moved over to Australia, she also started living with Adam's parents. And immediately, Adam's parents did not like Elisa because Elisa had this habit of lying. She lied about so many things. She would make up all of these elaborate stories of her life that just simply were not true. She just wanted attention. She always just wants attention. But despite Adam's parents not liking, Alisa, they probably were trying to warn him about her. Adam was completely under Elisa's spell. And just a few short months after Elisa moved to Australia... Adam and Elisa were married. Don't forget as well, she's actually still married to two people at least. And then just a couple more months after they were married, Elisa had her claws into Adam so much that she told him that they were moving back to the US. Elisa had decided that she was bored of Australia. She didn't want to live there anymore. She wanted to go back home. And of course, this absolutely outraged Adam's parents because they were thinking of Zara, which Adam seems to fail to do, by the way. Adam. <laughs> we haven't gotten on to Adam yet, but wow he makes my blood boil as well. But Adam's parents are the only ones thinking about Zara. They said, hang on a minute, you can't take this young girl who has literally just battled her second round of cancer, move her across country, away from her friends, away from her family, away from her treatments. And even though she had gone through her cancer, she was still having treatment, she was still having checkups. And in Australia, Zara's healthcare was free. However, if she moved to the US, she would have to pay for her medical treatment. And Adam's parents were really concerned about this because they didn't have a lot of money. Adam didn't have a lot of money. But that is one of the other lies that Alisa had told everyone. Alisa said that she came from a very, very wealthy family and she would cover the medical bills. But Adam claims to have believed her. I'm sorry, Adam, he drives me insane. Why are you not putting your daughter first? Her birth mother has never been in her life. She has had to go through cancer twice. She has lost her leg in the process and her hearing. She has already struggled so much. Shouldn't she have some stability in her life? Shouldn't she have some normality in her life? How is that fair on her just to pack her up and move her to a different country where she doesn't know anyone that Adam has full custody? He has final say of what happens. And he seemed to be completely under Elisa's spell. And I just don't get parents. I I really don't get parents like Adam. It's like, have a relationship with someone. Great, do that. But that relationship should never come before your children. Sorry, speaking from experience, they're a little bit passionate. So it is now late 2008. Alisa, Adam and Zara are moving to the US, they are moving back to North Carolina, which is obviously where Elisa is from. And they move back to Elisa's hometown of Hickory. And now at first, they all move in with Elisa's dad. Remember Elisa's dad? Elisa's dad doted on Alisa when she was younger. Zara is actually loving life in the US at this point because she's so adaptable. I mean, look at what she's already gone through. She is making a lot of new friends. She's telling all of her friends about Australia, about the crazy bugs in Australia, because honestly guys, those of you that live in Australia, I don't know how you do it. However, there was one problem, Elisa was not rich. So Zara still needed treatment, but as soon as she moved to the US, because they had no money, Zara stopped receiving treatment. And because Adam had moved over to the US illegally, he also couldn't get a job. Again, it's just like Zara is an afterthought to everyone, apart from her grandparents, but Zara is an afterthought. And after six months of living with Elisa's dad, even Elisa's dad had had enough and he kicked all of them out. So following this, in mid-2009, Elisa and Adam had somehow managed to scrape together six months worth of rent. And they moved into an apartment in Granite Falls, North Carolina. And this is when the mistreatment of Zara started. So first of all, when they moved into this apartment, the neighbours could hear Elisa and Adam arguing at all hours of the day. And this wasn't just regular arguing, this was really violent, aggressive shouting. The neighbours could hear that the two of them were getting physical with each other. And poor Zara was probably caught in the middle of this. And this is not a very good, healthy environment for a child to be in. But not just that, not too long after the three of them moved into this apartment, the neighbours would rarely ever see Zara. They saw Zara go to and from school but that was it. And also what is just so heartbreaking is that the neighbors could hear noises coming from the attic of the apartment belonging to Adam and Elisa. And when the neighbors could hear the sound in the attic, they thought to themselves, oh, that's weird. What's that noise? That's probably just an animal. But it wasn't. It turns out that it was Zara, Zara was being kept in the attic. She was forced to sleep in the attic with just a sheet on the floor. And I just have no words. I really don't. And we don't know really the details of why Zara was in the attic. Whose idea was it? I assume it was Elisa's. But Adam clearly knew what was going on. Why didn't he stop it? So now we get to 2010. Zara is 10 years old and Adam and Elisa had been kicked out of their current apartment because they were not paying any more rent. So now the three of them moved into a trailer in Hudson, North Carolina. So at this point Adam actually does finally get a job but because he is an illegal immigrant he's doing cash in hand and he worked for someone that he knew at a tree maintenance company. So because he was now earning a little bit of money things were a little bit easier for the family. However because of his job it did require require him to work very long hours, which meant that Zara was now spending even more time with Elisa. At this point, Elisa had pretty much become Zara's primary caregiver because Adam was out of the house that much. But before we do talk about the mistreatment of Zara, we first need to address pretty much all of Elisa's lies, especially when it comes to her marriage to Adam. She did not tell Adam about any of her marriages and she definitely didn't tell him that she was actually still married to at least two of them so elisa is currently right now married to three people at the same time. Also, she was a drug dealer. (laughs) I feel like there's just so much to this case and Adam didn't know that she was a drug dealer. So from her trailer, she was dealing prescription drugs. She was dealing OxyContin and so many random people would go to her trailer to buy drugs and Zara would be there. Zara, the 10 year old that no one seems to be thinking about. Zara was there when all of these random people would come and buy drugs. So that was the kind of life that Elisa was leading. But unfortunately now we need to get round to talking about Zara and the mistreatment of Zara. So remember when I talked a little bit about Munchausen by proxy? Well that comes back up. But this time it's not by proxy, it's just Munchausen. Because now Elisa was lying about her own house and she started telling everyone that she met, especially where they lived, that she had beaten brain cancer. She is literally, going around and saying that she has had several tumors removed from her brain over the years. And why was she telling people that she had beaten brain cancer? Well, basically she wanted to outdo Zara. Let that sink in. She couldn't take it that Zara had had cancer and had beaten it twice. She couldn't take that people gave attention to Zara because of this. They gave her their sympathies. She also tried to play down Zara and her conditions and the cancer that she suffered from, trying to make out that it wasn't that bad. She also used to tell Zara that because she had a prosthetic leg, that was no excuse to not do everything that every other child could do. So because of this, Elisa would make Zara go out into the woods and run up and down a hill and neighbors saw this happening they saw elisa making zara run up and down the hill she obviously did have difficulties why would she do this it was just a form of punishment it was a form of humiliation and if zara wasn't running fast enough she would hurl abuse at her honestly it just makes my blood boil like i seriously cannot contain myself with this case so that was the start of the abuse, but it wouldn't end there. Of course it wouldn't. Because as we know, Elisa has a temper and she would be very quick to dish out physical punishments. And these punishments would be because of the smallest thing. For example, if Zara didn't eat all the food on her plate, she would get beaten. And I actually mean beaten. Neighbors actually witnessed Elisa beating Zara. They witnessed it with their own eyes. So that tells you a lot, doesn't it? That Alisa doesn't care who is watching so it's like if that is what she's doing when people are watching what is she doing when they're not and neighbors did confront Alisa about this but every single time she would blame it on zara even though the neighbors had seen with their own eyes, Elisa do it. She would blame Zara. Oh, Zara did this, like she deserved it. Or Zara did it to herself. She is hurting herself. It's her prosthetic leg. It wasn't on properly, so she fell over. She would actually say those things. She was always, always blaming somebody else, but mainly she was blaming Zara. Elisa would also physically beat Zara in front of her two daughters. So her two daughters are obviously at Adults at this point, and they didn't really have anything to do with their mom, but when they did go over, they actually witnessed with their own eyes Zara being beaten. And it's crazy to me how many people are aware of what is going on. There was one time where Elisa just lost it and she was beating Zara, and she went to hit Zara so hard, but she missed and hit Zara's prosthetic leg. And she hit her prosthetic leg with such force that she broke her own hand. Now that just tells you how hard she was hitting Zara, that she broke her own hand. And the neighbours and Elisa's daughters did report Elisa to the authorities, but nothing was done. But we'll get back to the authorities in a minute. So because no one did anything, because no one really intervened, the abuse continued. And the abuse got worse. Zara would show up to school with bruises all over her body, on her legs, on her arms. There was one time where she even showed up with two black eyes. Now, teachers were becoming aware of the abuse. They started to make logs of the abuse and her injuries, and the teachers also reported the abuse to the authorities, again, nothing was done. So one day Zara arrived at school, and this really just breaks my heart, and she was so terrified, so anxious about some sort of dispute that had clearly gone on in the home, that when she was at school, she was a wreck, and she wet herself. And Zara was so traumatized by this, but she was so scared that the school would tell Elisa that Zara had wet herself at school, and she was so scared about what could happen to her if Elisa found out about this. Now one of the teachers at the school gave Zara their personal phone number and they told Zara that if she ever needed anything, if she was ever in distress at home, that she could call them. Now Elisa found out about this teacher that the teacher had given Zara their phone number and Elisa was not happy at all. She flew off the handle. She thought, how dare these teachers intervene in my home life? She thought that the teachers at the school were overstepping their mark. And because Elisa didn't want the teachers, anyone meddling in her business anymore, Zara was pulled out of school. She was now going to be homeschooled. So now we need to get back to the authorities and exactly what they did, which was pretty much nothing. So everyone is literally reporting, Elisa, the neighbors, her daughters, the teachers at school, people around Zara were genuinely trying to help. So the abuse of Zara was reported multiple times to the DSS. And in the space of about six months from the beginning of 2010 to halfway through 2010, the DSS actually went out to the trailer that Zara was living in four times. So on the first visit in the January, the DSS went out to the trailer, they spoke to both Elisa and Zara, but because Zara wasn't herself accusing Elisa of abuse, even though the DSS could see bruises on Zara, they believed Elisa's stories that Zara was just clumsy you know, she's got this prosthetic leg, she keeps falling over. The DSS actually bought those lies. So a report was made and no action was taken. The DSS went out again in February because they had had reports of abuse. They went out and the same thing happened. They believed Elisa's lies. A report was made and no action was taken. The same thing happened again in May and then also again in August. But it's like if you are getting reports from neighbours who have seen the abuse with their own eyes, why? Why are you believing Elisa, who is the abuser? Of course, Zara is not going to feel comfortable accusing her abuser, who is in the same room, of the abuse. And also, I really don't understand why Zara was allowed to be pulled out of school and be homeschooled. As far as I'm aware, if you pull a child out of school to be homeschooled, checks still need to be done. Someone still needs to go out to the home to make sure that everything is okay. But that wasn't done. Nothing was done. And then, what's even more infuriating, after that fourth visit in August, the DSS believed that Zara was getting these injuries either from herself or by accident, so they closed her case. Zara just completely fell out of the system. The DSS couldn't really care less. And she was homeschooled, so now she had fallen out of that system as well. And I bet you're thinking, hang on a minute, where is Adam? Adam, the dad? where is he? I would love to know as well, because where the bloody hell is he? His excuse was that he was working very long hours, and he just didn't know. He didn't see the abuse with his own eyes, and he believed all of Elisa's stories that Zara was getting those injuries herself. No, no, I'm sorry. That is a load of crap. It's like, come on, you are her father. Your priority should be Zara. So the abuse... The neglect of Zara was allowed to continue. And ultimately, this led to the tragic events of today's case. Okay, so now we get to September 2010. This is literally right after the DSS have closed their case and Zara has been pulled out of school. Well, now Elisa and Adam decide to move again. They move into a home in Hickory, North Carolina, which is obviously Elisa's hometown. And the home is a rental home and Adam's boss is the landlord. Now, they're in this home for approximately Six to eight weeks, and Zara for those six to eight weeks did not leave. She is literally now a prisoner in her own home, and the neighbors at this new house didn't even know that there was a child in that house. And personally, I think this is why Elisa and Adam moved because at the trailer, the neighbors knew that. That Zara existed. The neighbours knew that Elisa was abusing Zara. But at this new home, the neighbours don't even know that Zara exists. So the neighbours can't meddle in Elisa's business. And I think that that's why Elisa wanted to move. Because she wanted to do what she's about to do. And she didn't want anyone to know or see or hear. Now that is just a theory of mine. I didn't actually see it. But I just feel like it's a bit too coincidental that they're only in this home for approximately six to eight weeks before the worst happens. So this next bit of the case, I will admit, is very, very confusing. So I've tried to make it as simple as possible, but just bear with me. So on the 9th of October, 2010, a 911 call was made by Elisa Baker. She had called 911 because she had noticed a small grass fire that she obviously needed putting out. So firefighters arrive at the scene, they put the fire out, it's no big deal, and when the firefighters are leaving the property, they notice a note on the windshield of Adam's work car. And this note was no ordinary note, it was actually a ransom note. And when they looked at the ransom note, it said, We have your daughter. Do what I ask. Send us $1 million for your daughter. No cops. But what was the weirdest thing about this note is that it wasn't addressed to Adam. It wasn't addressed to Elisa. It was actually addressed to Adam's boss, Mark Coffey, who did also have a daughter of his own. So the firefighters, they obviously got in touch with the police. The police were like, oh my god, we need to get in contact with Mark Coffey, let him know that Someone may have his daughter. So when Mark Coffey got the call about the ransom note, Mark Coffey was like, um, that's strange because my daughter's here. So that's all very suspicious, isn't it? This ransom note that it was addressed to the wrong people. But then later that same day at 2 p.m. there is another 911 call from Elisa and Adam's property. And this 911 call, they are reporting Zara missing. <laughs> oh uh, yeah, my daughter is missing. I'm sorry. Your my daughter daughter? Missing? Yes, ma'am. So the story was that the kidnappers that had left this ransom note on Adam's car had gotten confused because Mark Coffee was the owner of a construction business. He clearly had a lot of money, so they wanted his daughter in exchange for money. But they had gotten confused because Adam and Elisa were living in one of Mark Coffee's properties. So therefore the kidnappers had gotten confused as to where Mark Coffey lived and they have taken Zara by mistake. Very, very confusing, isn't it? And this 911 call, I am so, so so baffled by it. Adam is on the phone and he's saying everything so casually. It's like you are reporting your daughter missing. There is nothing casual about that. Also, this is 2 p.m., 9 whole hours after the fire. This is another part of the story. The fire was a distraction. The kidnappers had set the fire so they could distract Lisa and Adam or Mark Coffee, distract them and kidnap Zara. But if that is the case, if that is the story, why are you only now just noticing that your daughter is missing nine hours later? But not only that, during the 911 call, Adam actually laughed. Who the hell laughs on a 911 call when you're reporting your child missing? He actually said to the operators, quote, Oh, and I think my daughter is coming into puberty. She is hitting that moody stage. So we only see her when she wants something. Ha ha. That was his explanation as to why it took nine hours for him to notice that she was missing. So after the 911 call, police go out and confirm that Zara is missing. So they spring into action and the search for Zara starts. The first people that the police wanted to talk to, though, were Adam and Elisa. Both Adam and Elisa say that the last time that they saw Zara was the night prior to the disappearance, and the last time they saw Zara was at 2.30 a.m. when Elisa went in to check on her when she was asleep. So then Elisa's version of the story was that she checked on Zara at 2.30 a.m., and then she was awoken at 5.20 a.m. by the fire that was started by the kidnappers. Then they interview Adam, and his story is different. He said that he had last seen his daughter three days before she went missing. Three days. You haven't seen your daughter for three days. So that detail alone contradicts Elisa's story because Elisa had said that they were all together as a family the night before the disappearance. So the police are starting to see through Elisa's story and they give her a polygraph test. And guess what? She fails. Of course she does because she's lying. So the police decide to arrest Elisa. But they can't actually arrest her at this point to anything connected to Zara because they don't have enough evidence. So they arrest Elisa on all of these random other charges. They arrest her for bad checks and driving without a license. Meanwhile, Adam is released because the police don't really suspect him at this point. So Elisa is in custody, but Adam is out. And when he is out, he goes on Good Morning America and pleads for anyone with any information to come forward. And in this appearance on Good Morning America, he contradicts his story again. So the police are becoming more and more suspicious of Adam at this point. So now it is three days since Zara has gone missing. And the police search Adam and Elisa's home with sniffer dogs and UV lights. They do a thorough search with the dogs and the UV lights. And what do they find? Zara's blood. They found Zara's blood splattered all over her bedroom. And I mean everywhere. Her blood was everywhere. Now the police obviously searched the home initially, but Zara's room had been repainted. So they had painted over Zara's blood and it could only be seen with UV lights. There was also remains of a paintbrush that was in the fire that had started at the property three days prior. But not just that, there were traces of human remains found in Elisa's car. So tragically, the police now changed the investigation to a homicide case because up until this point, it was a missing persons case. With the amount of blood that they found, the amount of Zara's blood that they found, there was no way that Zara could still be alive. And the police had one suspect and that was Elisa Baker. So the police stopped Putting the pressure on Elisa. They are closing in on her. They interrogate her for hours and they tell her that if she doesn't cooperate and if they find her guilty, she will get the death penalty. Now, when Elisa heard the words death penalty, she soon started to cooperate. So, Elisa decides to come clean. She decides to tell the police exactly what happened. She said that she would tell the truth this time, but before. She did that, she got herself an attorney and she wanted to make a plea deal. In exchange for her telling the truth she wouldn't get the death penalty. So her trying to negotiate that plea deal did take quite a while. So the investigation is still going on in the background and Zara's remains still haven't been found. Adam is also arrested in this time period because he keeps contradicting his story, which is incredibly suspicious. And after the police interview Adam, put a little bit of pressure on him, he changes his story again and says that the last time that he saw Zara was actually 15 days before her disappearance. And I just cannot believe it. Like when I heard that, my jaw hit the ground. Because I was like, 15 days. You haven't seen your daughter in 15 days. And you did nothing apparently because of his long working hours whenever he would come home from work Zara would already be in bed and apparently when he did go and check on Zara it looked like Zara was in bed i'm sorry this just sounds like a load of bs so that was his explanation as to why he hadn't seen his daughter in 15 days and even though adam his story seems very suspicious he keeps contradicting himself the police don't have any evidence against him at this point. So they have to let him go. And I think at this point, the police didn't think that Adam was involved. They just thought that he was an idiot. So then finally, in early November of 2010, the plea deal had finally been negotiated, and Elisa was ready to tell the truth. So Elisa said that on the 24th of September, two whole weeks before Zara was reported missing, Elisa had come home and Zara was unconscious. Alisa said that she found Zara in her bedroom and she wasn't breathing. So she tried to perform CPR for about half an hour, but it didn't work and Zara was no longer alive. So after this, Elisa called Adam and told him what had happened. So when Adam gets home and he sees Zara's body he decides that it's best not to report Zara's death because Adam was living in the US illegally. And then following this, Adam and Adam alone, according to Elisa, took Zara's body into the bathroom, put Zara's body in the bathtub, and dismembered her, before the two of them then drove around and just discarded off the body parts. In what world would anyone believe that story? Following Elisa telling the police this story, she agreed to tell the police where they discarded Zara's remains. However, unfortunately, because so much time had passed at this point, I mean, we're getting on to like a month and a half after the murder let's not beat around the bush. So because of where the body parts were discarded, wildlife had disturbed the remains. Only some of Zara's remains were found, but most of Zara were still missing, including her skull. So now the police have recovered some of Zara's remains. Could any of Elisa's story be confirmed? Well, the answer to that would be No. From the remains that was found, it could be determined that Zara died on the 24th of September. And that is pretty much the only thing that was true. The only thing out of Elisa's mouth that was true. From the very few remains that they had of Zara's body, the cause of death was, quote, "...undetermined homicidal violence." And remember, Elisa said that Adam was involved. He was the one and he alone dismembered Zara's body. Well, that again was a lie. Phone records confirmed that Adam was at work all day. However, phone records confirm that Elisa was at home and also phone records show that she was driving around here, there and everywhere discarding of Zara's body. So at this point, because there was no evidence to suggest that Adam was involved in any way, there was only one person that could be responsible for Zara Baker's death and that was Elisa Baker. And because Elisa is not talking, I mean, we've obviously heard her story, which is a load of BS, and Adam apparently doesn't know what happened. We don't actually know what happened to Zara. We don't know the exact events. But from the remains, from the autopsy, the police have put together what they think happened. They now believe that on the 24th of September 2010, Zara was asleep in bed. Elisa crept into her room, and beat her with a heavy object until Zara lost her life. It is also believed that Elisa dragged Zara's body into the bathroom herself, dismembered her body in the bathtub before discarding the remains all over town herself. She then cleaned up the property and painted over the blood. So then finally, in February of 2011, five months after the murder of Zara, Elisa Baker is charged with second degree murder. I mean, obviously she should be charged with first degree murder, but that was a part of her plea deal that she wouldn't have first degree murder as her charge. So she did plead guilty to second degree murder and was sentenced to 18 years. But she only got 18 years because that was a part of her plea deal because she cooperated but in my eyes, she didn't really cooperate. How did she cooperate? She didn't even say the true story. However, a year later, Elisa was given an extra charge for drug dealing, because remember, she was dealing prescription drugs on the trailer park. Well, she was given an extra 10 years, which must be served after she's finished her 18-year sentence, and that is to be served in federal prison. So even though she should have gotten longer for the murder of Zara, at least she will still be locked up for a little bit longer and even still to this day no motive has been found for why elisa did this There is actually an interview of elisa on youtube where she gives an interview from prison and she still to this day like i said pleads her innocence did you murder zara no ma'am you're innocent fight it why didn't you you heard the evidence against me well that means from what i could see You are as guilty as sin, and you will not take responsibility for your actions. There again, that's your opinion. And oh my god, if you want to watch something that is so infuriating, then go and watch that interview. You can just tell that she is lying through her teeth. She just has no emotion. She is so cold. Let's just play devil's advocate here and pretend for a second that Elisa is innocent. She claims to have loved Zara. Well, regardless if you murdered her or if she did die by natural causes you would still be emotional. And then what about Adam? (laughs) What about Adam? So following the investigation, police genuinely did believe that Adam had no idea what was going on and he wasn't involved in any way, regardless of if he was involved or not. He was definitely 100% a neglectful father. Adam has faced no charges because obviously they don't have any evidence that he was involved. And he moved back to Australia to be close to family where he remains to this day. But finally, we need to finish this case on focusing on the one person that actually does matter in this case, and that is Zara Baker. Zara Baker was described as a brave little girl who had a permanent smile on her face and was always willing to help out anyone around her. She had faced so much adversity in her short life, but she had come through it all fighting. She was such a fighter, and was a stronger person at the other end. She loved her time in Australia, she loved spending time with friends, she loved spending time with her grandparents, and most of all, Zara just loved life. However, when Zara moved to America, her freedom had been taken away from her. Her spirit had been beaten down. And then ultimately, her life was taken away from her far too soon. She was only 10 years old. And this case, it's just heartbreaking, like beyond belief, it's just heartbreaking. Children ones always are, but how much Zara had to go through in such a short life. And it's also really horrible to think that Zara should be 23 years old. If she was still alive, she would be 23. And she should be doing what other 23 year olds doing. She should be living her life, having fun with friends and family, maybe at university or in a job that she loves. There really is a special place in hell waiting for Elisa. There really is. And then in 2012, Zara's skull was finally found, meaning that it now can be confirmed that Zara Baker was murdered by blunt force trauma. And now most of her remains have been found, and her remains have been returned to Australia so she can be with family. So that was the case of Elisa Baker, and honestly, I I don't know what to say. Like, normally I give my analysis on why I think certain things happened, but when it comes to this case, nothing explains or even gives any indication of why Elisa Baker did this. And as far as I can tell, Elisa just went through life and manipulated everyone, took advantage of them, and just went through life trying to use and abuse people. And she was like that from a very young age. So it leads me to just come to the conclusion that Elisa is just one of those people that was born evil. And Adam, Adam. I don't want to say that he was involved because... I don't feel like that's my place, but I do feel like he knows more than what he's letting on. He has to. How can he live in that house and not be aware of the abuse that is happening to his daughter? How can he live in that house and not notice that his daughter has been missing for two weeks? It just doesn't add up. And that brings us to the end of this episode. There are no updates on this case. Thank you so much everyone for listening today. Subscribe or follow to make sure you never miss an episode of The Criminal Makeup. And if you enjoy the show, it would really mean a lot if you could leave a five-star review. In the meantime, if you have been affected by any of the themes in this episode, please take the time to look at the description for this episode for some helpful resources. Special thanks to my producers at Audio Boom Studios, and I'll see you all in the next one.